Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast only on the Oz Network. Welcome to the Oz Network for episode number 11 of 24. Still day number one. Uh, we're going to be here for a while, but it's very bright outside. It's almost lunchtime and everybody's getting tired or hungry. Uh, as everybody's also very testy in this episode and somebody has cramps. So we got so much to talk about, about 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. The famous episode written by Robert Cochran, who gets his name spelt right on the uh, episode, unlike his writing partner. And um, this was a special Valentine's Day episode, too, as I'm seeing it originally aired February 12th, 2002. Oh, what a Valentine's Day that was. I'm pretty sure I spent it re-watching episode number 11 of 24 season one by myself in my basement. Um, that's how you spend every Valentine's Day, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, this is exactly how I spend every day. You know, I, I just don't hire my wife that day. I, I don't have the money for the actor. So, yeah, no, that's exactly what I do. N- not even Valentine's Day, just every day. Yep. That is yep. Monday to Friday, full-time work for this Ben. It's the longest day of my life. <laughs> Uh, let's get into it. My name is Colin, and you're a good liar, but I've seen better. And my name is Ben, and hi, Bill. <laughs> if I had remembered that, that, it wouldn't be your line. If I had remembered it, would my quote? I'm going through all my notes, and I'm like, did I write down any quotes here? But that might have been the one quote I wrote down, and I forgot it. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to use this line because I'm not hosting this week, and I had a backup. But I'm like, oh yeah, you didn't use it. Yes. <laughs> All right, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. This is, I think, one of the episodes that I always remembered the best. I mentioned the uh, Nina fake shooting, the, you know, Palmer assassination. Uh, I think the first time we're going to get our main Drazen would be up there on the list for me. Uh, But this is like one of those standout episodes. And there's one moment in this episode, which uh, I'm pretty sure is what you've alluded to as being like the ultimate Jack Bauer moment, which... Uh, is exactly the Jack Bauer moment. If it is the same one I'm thinking about, the exact Jack Bauer moment that my brother and I would quote every single time we watch 24 and anytime we'd explain to people why Jack Bauer was amazing. Because uh, we get Jack Bauer's attempted torture in this episode. Uh, poor Ted Kofel, who, uh, as far as the audience is concerned, is just a poor man with a heart condition who is, was in the middle of a case of mistaken identity. Um <laughs> uh, but he's also friends with Alan York or Kevin Carroll. We're not entirely sure. Uh, but wow, what an episode. Uh, I, uh, we'll, we'll have to see where this lands in the rankings. But I mean, coming off of an easy bin last week, uh, probably the first unanimous you know, agreement of this episode is garbage. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is like a near perfect 24 episode. 
Well, I didn't bin last week, Colin. So you know, you might think so you that. haven't been. Have you binned anything? I haven't. I, I think I said last week. I don't think I will bin an episode this season. <laughs> um, so there you go. But um, no, this is this is the birth to me of the pure Jack Bauer Power Hour. Something which you know became a common name for Twenty Four towards its you know final years, and we've sort of had glimpses of a Jack Bauer Power Hour. But th- this is like. If you didn't know who Jack Bauer is at this point or what he's going to be capable of, this is the episode. This is just all Jack. Um, And, like, I could take everything out of this episode that isn't Jack and this still would be a high bin. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there is some good stuff. High bin? A high buy bin. Buy. I can speak. (laughs) High bin. This episode is so good, (laughs) I'm going to bin it. Um... (laughs) I, I think there's some other stuff that's not Jack-related that actually is decent this episode, but holy oh, yeah. crap. And, I mean, yeah, there's one scene alone that, that would just make this a buy. Um, uh, straight away, a, a top five nominated moment. And season one's going to be a difficult one to come with the top five because, I mean, as it is, I can automatically think of three in the final episode that are very steady moments for the top five, possibly even, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the top three moments from this season are all in the final episode. But... Yeah, wow. Um, Keeper Sutherland, give this guy a Golden Globe. Oh, wait, he got one yeah. for this season. Uh, give him an Emmy. Oh, he'll get one in season five. But uh, give him an Oscar. I, like, I know you don't get an Oscar for TV, but he should because, I mean, I'm scared of Jack this episode. I am terrified <laughs> of Jack this episode. And, yeah, wow. I mean, you really can tell you're ramping up to that halfway point because we're only a week away from the halfway point, which is sort of yeah. always that... Uh, trope of 24 we say we talk about it being a three-part series often the the midway point is kind of generally the conclusion of either the first or even the second part sometimes but uh we're getting there and this episode and i always say the penultimate episode of a season is often more important than the finale because it's more of that setup mm-hmm. to get into the finale this is kind of like that penultimate midway finale episode which sets up enough juicy stuff for next week with this in itself possibly being a better episode than next week and next week's a great episode so yeah holy crap jack bow power owl bring it on you know what else is great is that uh this is almost an exact duplication of what we got two weeks ago with mm. jack just hiding out with a hostage uh the difference being there's stakes to this hostage uh, there's a reason for him to be holding them and it doesn't end in pure stupidity, <laughs> which <laughs> is what, uh, waitress, uh, episode did. Uh, but another thing you mentioned with the, the golden globe, I, I don't know what the date was, um, of when he won the golden globe, but I mean, it must've been, uh, at least the nominations came out prior to this. I wonder if there was even voting going on because he won the golden globe before we even get to this episode. And uh, this is like Kiefer's crowning moment of this season. This and the final episode are going to be his crowning moments, I think, as an actor. Uh, and he's so calm this week. Like, that's the other thing. He he has one moment where he explodes and the rest of it kind of because of we'll talk about the reason why they, they flipped it a little bit. And they're like, hey, no, Jack, you have to be a little bit more reserved because it's going to be more effective with this guy. And I think that's the other thing that I really like is that essentially Nina ends up telling Jack, don't be so Jack with this guy. <laughs> and that's kind of what makes it so special. You know, the interesting thing you talk about the Golden Globes, um, I often forget that 24 did win the Golden Globe for best drama one year. And I always thought it was for season one or season five, that you know, the two peak seasons of, of 24. Obviously, I think it won best uh, drama at the Emmys for season five. 
and that was sort of the one where it swept a lot of the awards. But it actually won the Golden Globe for Best Drama for Season 2 slash 3, which uh, are two often overlooked seasons, particularly Season 3, which I will be a massive defender of when we get to Season 3. Um, so that that's surprising, actually. And that was the year when 24 wins a Golden Globe. Um, actually, that was the year that Nip Tuck got nominated for Golden Globe. I know we talked a little bit about that over on... Uh, on that actually Nip Tuck went on to win in 2004 but the first year it got nominated in 2003 so good year for Ben shows and Oz Network shows <laughs> actually three solid years for Oz Network shows in a row 2003 24 wins it 2004 Nip Tuck wins it 2005 Lost wins it so to bookend all of those we will eventually cover The Shield from 2002 <laughs> although from 2006 we will be skipping that we will not be covering Grey's Anatomy and maybe we'll skip to 2007 and go to Mad Men did Grey's an enemy won the Golden Globe for best dr- okay Golden Globes lost some relevancy but uh, to, please to your tell point, me something yeah please tell me something even worse was nominated that year 24 Heroes Lost and Big Love oh Bill Paxton oh, give it on. to Heroes yeah especially for that year that was a good year yeah um, but to your point um, I don't know what your point was I got lost in the Golden Globes so, but I agree with you Colin <laughs> my point was the Golden Globes so. yes I agree with you Colin <laughs> Uh, do you have anything in your book that you're going to touch on throughout this episode or anything you want to touch on beforehand? The 24 um, official companion the, guide? Well, the official guide, it basically just goes on a little bit about the locations, about how uh, the budget for this season obviously wasn't massive, so they had to kind of think outside the square. And it, I mean, if you kind of strip this episode back, this one, it's basically Jack in a car and Palmer mm-hmm. at a school and Terry and Kim in a building and Jack and uh, Nina and uh, on the phone. Tony, yeah, on the phone. So, I mean, like, you can kind of see that, but I think what is good, and, like, this is, I think, this season overall is where it obviously doesn't have the budget later seasons are going to have. They make do. I think kind of we've gone over the locations a lot in this season and kind of gone, oh, this is funny. You know, it's taken them so long to get here, but I think they do well. Furniture store, I mean, come on, iconic 24 locations. Furniture store is always going to go down as one, but... um yeah, it's kind of interesting talking about that. It also mentions a little bit about this uh, Microtech Halo knife, which apparently is actually a real thing and is <laughs> renowned as the Cadillac of out-the-front automatic opening knives. So um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and it also says here on the locations, during the 15-day production cycle of a 24-episode, the crew shoots at an average of four or five locations in the greater Los Angeles area. Over the 100-plus episodes of the series, and this was only up to season five, this book, I believe, had uh, they released a couple of them all at once. That comes to more than 500 locations being featured on this show, which uh, is pretty amazing, actually. You don't often get that many for a, for a TV series in general. So, uh, yeah, not, nothing groundbreaking in 24, The Official Companion, Seasons 1 and 2 by Tara DeLulo, but still interesting. I wonder how many of those locations, if we can keep a count, end up being hills that people run down yeah. uh, or parking garages that they meet in because I think that's what we've got in most of Season 1. Well, I, when I think of Season 2, I think of hills. I think of cougars. I think of bombs. I think of <laughs> crazy men in the forest. So, I mean, Season 2 is all about the hills. So There's a lot of outdoor stuff, hills? yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was based right. on 24. So, there you go. <laughs> it must have been. It also lost the Emmy that year to Grey's Anatomy. Oh. Um Imagine Anyways. losing it. Like, if you lost to Grey's Anatomy, like, that's worse than... Just, you may as well just not be nominated. I'd rather say rescind my nomination. Thank you. Like, just don't put me up there. Yeah, maybe if they lost to Desperate Housewives, it would be more appropriate. Well, that was in comedy section, Colin. No, you, no, your categories at the Golden Globe. Is that show funny? 
It, I've never seen it, to be honest. It's funnier than a lot. It's funny, The Modern Family. <laughs> and that, wins, <laughs> that wins awards. It's funny. Have you not seen Terry Hatcher? She's a laugh a minute. Oh, I bet she is. Um, anyways, let's get into the episode here. Uh, is there's This is, I think, of all the episodes we've covered, this might be the most fast-paced, not as far as like action, because mm. this is all about suspense, but it is constant cutting, scene, 30 seconds, another scene, 30 seconds. I think we had one more episode like that, but, I mean, this one goes by so quickly, um, as opposed to just sort of grouping the individual stories. I'll kind of just go through it scene by scene here. Uh, the first scene might be one of the few things I have an issue with is that we start out at CTU and uh, Nina's giving the the briefing to uh, Alberta, <laughs> our uh, bland prototype for better division characters to come uh, about, uh, hey, we got a lead. We think that the, this empty seat on the plane might've been a photographer, Martin Belkin. <laughs> and I feel like at this point, does anybody remember the name of Martin Belkin? I mean, no, we're only a few weeks removed from the last appearance, but like, who's Martin Belkin at this point to start off an episode? Is it just a reminder? Hey, you're going to need to know this name for later. Well, I mean, on the positive, Colin, they're at least investigating the 747 that got blown <laughs> up over the heart. So, I mean, at least somebody's remembering that there was a massive terrorist attack, like, you know, 12 hours ago. But didn't, like, because they kind of mentioned in this episode, but didn't they already know this? This is their lead before. So, why, like, how shit yeah. a division that Alberta Green's like, oh, Secret Service think it might be this Martin's. This is where they go... <laughs> Alberta, we know, we discovered this. Do you like read your memos? Eight hours ago, we passed this on to Division. You suck. Get fired. Get Chappelle in here. Like, that's what I feel like should be happening right now because I feel this is already common knowledge. Or she's just trying to stall them on, all right, here's some meaningless tasks that we can do. Somebody stole Milo's brand muffin. Uh, Tony, you're on it. <laughs> I don't know. And he doesn't come in at 5 a.m. to get his muffin stolen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he wants a pay bump for his yeah. muffin being stolen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bam. Um, which, Bam. yeah, like, I mean, the weakest part of this episode is just the Alberta Green storyline. And it's, I think there's... It's just a lot of weird, like, looks between her and Nina, which is but, most of what we're going to get. Well, I was going to say, the opening of this episode is literally Sarah Clark and Carlos Bernard scowling facial expressions <laughs> at Alberta Green. Like, seriously, isolate their clips. It's just literally them just giving, like, a death stare, like, fucking bitch, I'm trying to do my work. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, like, I mean, this is a trope of 24. We're always going to get, you know... CTU drama that involves someone of authority preventing our heroes of doing what they're wanting to do. Um, and, I mean, this is this is just honestly something that I kind of... You know, I often forget Alberta's in this episode. Every now and then, you know, like... I mean, the best the best bit of this episode around this is, Hi, Bill. Uh, <laughs> that's the, that might be the best bit of this episode behind the top five. Just saying, I, like, cracked up laughing. <laughs> that was so good. We get Sarah Clark on this episode. I just wanted to go, Hi, Ben and Colin. <laughs> that can be our new ringtone. <laughs> Hi, Bill. <laughs> I believe that's where Quentin Tarantino got the idea for Kill Bill. He's like, fuck, I can't think of a name. He's watching 24. Bill. There it is. Bill. Bill. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, yeah, for a great episode, it's sort of, it's there. Uh, another thing that I actually got a bit of a laugh out of in this episode, this episode is low on the goofiness that's plagued some of the more recent ones. Uh, but another really funny moment to start this off as Kiefer is driving the car and we got uh, Kofel in the back seat as he's like, hey, Mark, uh, can you take a turn up here? Now, I get if he was behind like tinted glass or something, but he's staring at him and the camera keeps showing Kofel's view 
which shows a very blonde, very not Mark man <laughs> in the rear view mirror and side view. And he continues to call him Mark for probably two minutes straight. Mark, Mark, are you listening to me? Mark. And then all of a sudden, wait a second. You're not Mark. <laughs> He's forget about a heart condition. This guy's got like vision issues. Like he needs some big glasses or something because he cannot clearly tell this is not Mark. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, he could at least put on Mark's hat or something like that. Maybe just, you know, put his jacket up. <laughs> she could have been like, yes, sir. Like before he like shoves Mark out of the thing, she should have been like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Talk to me. I need to impress- impersonate your voice. All right. You're from <laughs> Texas. Howdy there, Ted. Uh, <laughs> let's go for a drive. Um, like you should have. My deepest apologies, <laughs> Mr. Kofel. <laughs> How's the wife and kids? I hope your heart is okay. <laughs> Mighty fine meeting with Kevin we're going to have today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's how Texans speak. That's exactly what Mark sounded like at the end of last episode, isn't it? Yep, exactly. Um, no, it's, it's kind of funny, and I just love this. He's like, and I, I love how, like, Jack, like, the, the one way, as soon as he's like, you're not, Mark, he locks the door. Like, was, was yeah. Ted's first thing to open the door and just roll out the door? Like, this <laughs> guy is like... Bit of a wimp, you know. I like we're gonna get this. He's he's anal. He's passive aggressive. He's organized. Like all these things that Nina says. He's not jumping out of a limo on speed on the freeway. Like he's maybe calling the file, cops. I want the file to also say he does not know what Mark looks like. Yeah. <laughs> passive aggressive, organized. You learn responsibility early. Doesn't know what Mark looks like. It's like oh, that would have been great to know twenty minutes ago. Thanks, Nina. Damn it. <laughs> we needed the Jack Dad. <laughs> You know the, the Jack sunglasses, like Jack, kind of has a bit of a look Chips later on. Glasses? Yeah, well, he has like aviator glasses later on, like the Jack Bauer look, the jacket, the satchel. You know, he has the glasses. This is kind of almost a precursor to the the more Jack Bauer sunglasses. I like these little black little mini aviators. I'm going to call them the, the Jack Bauer. Doesn't go well with the blonde bangs though. But uh, hey, you know, we're going <laughs> to perfect the hairstyle from season two onwards. By the way, Jamie thought everything went with those blonde bangs. Like she, this is the, the first one she's watched with me. I think this whole season, and yeah, I think every second scene, she's like, "Oh, I would take that guy in a second. I'm like, "You would be fighting Ben off for him." You would <laughs> be, Jamie. I'm sorry. This is the one time we're like, "No, that man's mine." Like you just, you <laughs> keep your hands off him, Jamie. You can have Ted. <laughs> Oh, there were no comments on Ted. Uh, another thing I kind of laughed at in this opening scene here, uh, or Jack's opening scene, that is, is. When Kofel's like, all right, I'm going to phone somebody. He dials a number. Jack sort of looks at him, <laughs> slowly gets out of the car, slowly gets What if the person picked up on the first ring? Yeah. I mean, this is the longest wait to voicemail ever. And, and is he calling 911? 911, please hold. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is a very long ring for a guy who's calling, knows his life is in jeopardy here. And Jack is way too casual getting the back to take it's care of Kevin Carroll. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kevin, Kevin. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm going to the airport. Bad timing, Kevin. Oh, now you don't answer. <laughs> uh, but anyways, it's still great to see the beginning of Jack's torment of uh, poor Mr. Kofel here. Uh, and um, when he gets into the back, he has a nice line here uh, where he says, my name is Jack Bauer. My wife and daughter are missing. And I so want him to say this is the longest day of my life because <laughs> he's basically doing his old narration here, which also we didn't mention the narrations uh, different at the beginning of this episode here. Um, I don't remember if it changed in the last episode or if it is this one, but now it's not, uh, you know, uh, the same as before. It's, it's a little more personalized Jack Bauer intro. He last week, it, well, I mean, last week it had changed to my wife and daughter had been kidnapped. But I think it sound like 
Last week sounded, I think, from memory, a bit like weird, whereas this one sounds a lot more coherent, the way he kind of says it. So, um, yeah, I, I think... Kiefer was um, sober when he recorded it the second possibly, time? Possibly, yeah. Like he wasn't drunk and jumping on Christmas trees. Have you ever seen that video <laughs> of him climbing Christmas trees? No. Drunk? Okay, this like you got to look this up. Like my friend and I, when we were watching 24 back in the 2000s when it was on, she was like obsessed with Kiefer Sutherland's antics out of 24, like the fact that he was always caught drunk. And there's like a video of him, um, like he was at a bar and I think he like jumps on a Christmas tree and it falls over. Uh, so, oh wait, I've got this video here. Yeah. Kiefer and the Christmas tree on YouTube. If anybody wants to look it up along with us, yeah, and like we're not like joking. Like I, I don't actually know if he legitimately had an alcohol problem or just whenever the paparazzi caught Kiefer Sutherland, he was out and he was drunk. Um, but like it was just like Kiefer Sutherland and he like climbed a Christmas tree or something. <laughs> he he tries to climb it and it collapses immediately. It's just yep. spectacular. Yep. Um. Yeah, all right. Well, let's let's have Jack do that in the next episode, okay? Uh, uh, anyways, Jack Jack goes like very extreme on this guy very quickly. Uh, and again, I, I'm I'm not looking at this from oh the, what the 24 fans know, but um, again, we talked about this last week. From Jack's perspective, they said we may have a slight lead. We got the name of a banker associated <laughs> with them. His name's Ted Kofel. Now, at this point, Nina continues to remind him throughout the episode, we don't even know if it's the same Ted Kofel. And he's immediately like, I'm going to kill you. Tell me where my wife and daughter are. And also, why is he explaining his whole life story to this guy? Uh, yeah. It is like zero to 100 Jack. But, uh, I mean, I'm happy with it because we're going to get one of the best moments uh, out of this. Um, what else do we got uh, here? Uh, I did note that this is like the, this could be the hospital visitor all over again. <laughs> I was just trying to bring pills to my dying brother. Um, uh, I'll bring back but, that guy. But we do have Jack's line here about uh, as he listens to Kofel saying, "You know, I'm just a businessman. Uh, you're a good liar, but I've seen better." <laughs> Which I mean, this Jack's is, just so cool. What I like about this episode because I remember watching this for the first time, and it's like I think for the most part when I'm watching this episode, and you don't know, like. I'm kind of like with Nina, I'm kind of with like Ted, like, like this guy's innocent. Like Jack's got the wrong guy. Like it's kind of when it eventually it's revealed that he's got the right guy. It's like, whoa, okay. I wasn't expecting that. Cause I mean, again, we, we don't know who Kevin is like, you mm-hmm. know, Kevin Carroll, like now we clearly know who it is. Um, but yeah, I, I remember watching this for the first time thinking, wow, Jack's kind of losing it here. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I think that's what this episode does well is that when you're watching this for the first time, you're kind of on board with Nina going like, hey, like, Jack, you might have the wrong guy. And there's that moment mm-hmm. uh, where Nina literally says, like, Jack, uh, Jack, like, I think you should take a step back here. I think you got the wrong guy. And Jack kind of has his desk there and just like, okay, thanks, bye. And, like, yeah. hands up, like, doesn't even listen to Nina. Like, wow. Jack- I want to cram a towel down somebody's throat today, and it's either him or you, Nina. Can I just also point out one thing? Like, when he grabs his briefcase and he's going through his wallet, he holds up his driver's license to, like, look at his driver's license. Now, I don't know how driver's licenses were in California in 2001, but for some reason I don't think they're laminated like a library card. If you actually look at it, it's got, like, the border around it like a laminated card. Like, driver's licenses are generally like a solid plastic card, right, That like a preventer mm-hmm. you kind of have forgeries. The, the props department of Fox and 24, clearly we're talking about the budget. The budget didn't stretch to really <laughs> sick-looking driver's licenses because this is just a laminated piece of cardboard they've printed off like their <laughs> HP Webjet printer in 2001 and quickly laminated. Go, shit, quick. And also the photo of Ted Kofel just looks like some random 
like he's profile. Oh, it does not look like him at all. Well, like the profile of him on like these government agency, like this is a CEO of like a Fortune 500 company or something. Why is it just like a casual picture of him drunk in like Tahiti? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it shouldn't it be like a proper headshot for like you know our mission. Like Ted Kofel stands for the following things, not like going fucking drunk at Tahiti. No wonder this guy starts speaking Serbian in a minute and has the Cadillac <laughs> of knives in his back. They don't have proper backgrounds on this guy. <laughs> I want his driver's license folder to be him tackling a Christmas tree. I think yeah. that would have really <laughs> been over the top. <laughs> oh, seriously. Our hero, Jack, tackling a Christmas tree. But this is where we get the uh, the first call to Nina where she's saying, is it the right Ted Kofel? Uh, and then um, he says, I need an interrogation profile. And she says, okay, give me 15 minutes. Make it five. Yeah. <laughs> Are you telling me I need to get an interrogation? Yeah, Jack's a bit of a dick to Dina in this episode. It's like, are you telling me I need to get an interrogation? Kid, in 15 minutes, make it five. Beep, beep. <laughs> also, Nina, I love her line when she says, like, oh, Alberta's all around. From now on, I play on the side of the angels. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then also I love, like, I mean, Nina's kind of, like, underrated Nina episode, just the way she's kind of, like, juggling that. And then the way she's, like, you know, Every time I talk to you now, Jack, you're going out on a limb to do something extra. And then, like, Jack's comeback. Tell me something I could have done different this day, Nina. And she's like, yeah. okay, maybe you're right. I'm like, okay, well, there's a few things you could have done different, Jack. <laughs> yeah, attack a man in a hospital. Um, Break out some Kidnap a waitress. Yep, exactly. How about go out the back window before sending the waitress out. And can we also, like, the day one memory, like, this season's all about the amnesia. And that's probably going to be an episode I might be in this season. Um, but I, forget, I keep forgetting about that episode. That's kind of <laughs> ironic, isn't it? Um, but, like, <laughs> let's be honest. We've forgotten about that a 747 has been blown up over the Mojave Desert. Jackie's also currently wanted for an assassination attempt on the future president of the United <laughs> States. Yet, apparently, the cops just only certainly area of LA. Like, shouldn't yeah. this city be on lockdown <laughs> again? Like, a former <laughs> government agent they think is the number one threat for the future president of the United States. It's fine. Palmer's still at schools. Uh, like, no one's looking yeah. for him. So, tell me anything I could have done different. Well, Jack, you got a moment? No, I've only got five. <laughs> Get me that interrogation <laughs> link. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's still great. Yes, uh, it so is. I'm I mean, it's fantastic. Like, it's, we want this. Yeah. Like, we love Jack. But, like, if you want to be the realistic eye of 24, yeah, Jack, you're in a bit of trouble, mate. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to draw a weird comparison here to another show we've already brought up heroes which heroes first season legendary one of the greatest single seasons any tv show ever had and second season there <laughs> <laughs> well i mean second season um I, I may even mention it on here a couple weeks ago or whenever it was we talked about heroes recently uh one of the big problems that i think everybody's aware of was hero season two was that the season was cut short because of a writer's strike but even afterwards the writers came out, the creator uh, came out and said, yeah, there's other mistakes we made in this season. Like we introduced subplots where we just put one character in one location for like six weeks straight. Uh, and they're referring to um, uh, what hero in Nakamura and heroes was just in Japan for like six straight weeks. And it's like, okay, first there's a novelty and then you get over it. That's kind of how I feel about Nina and Terry's little, room here uh like i'm getting a little tired of the location and a little tired of very little happening i mean last week was great but it's just sort of like they're in a room again and i feel like if you're gonna have a storyline drag on giving this much screen time to them maybe change location up happens we're gonna move you to a different room where there's no cell reception or something yeah and this is where i think kim and terry 
start to get a bit like I don't want to say they're pointless for the rest of this season, but they kind of are. Uh, I mean, like I, I yeah. know that's Jack. I mean, Jack's motivation in the first half of this season is you know valid, but without being too spoilery, when they get rescued, um, th- <laughs> this kind of starts the trope that Twenty Four will have of okay, they're always going to be in trouble. Like you can't. I mean, yeah. I get it. You got to have them in the storyline, especially with Kim. I mean. Season two, Kim, holy crap. But then, like, it's just, you know, like, you get it, you get why they're doing it, but it also gets to a point where you're like, I mean, come on. Like, I mean, how how much bad luck is befalling these people all the time? And there's a lot of stuff around Terry and Kim for the remainder of this season, which is just, I mentioned amnesia before. Like, holy <laughs> crap. Like, again, if anyone listens to our Niptak coverage, I mean, some of the worst storylines I talk about is when amnesia, and, and amnesia is one of these things to me where, and I'm jumping the gun here, but like amnesia is a storyline which 99.9% of the time never works. It's stupid. It's a cheap storyline that you don't need yeah. to use. And we'll get to that this season. But um, yeah, like I think we're losing the point of having Kim and Terry relevant at least mm-hmm. until like the final couple of episodes of this season. So, yeah, unfortunately, we're going to be stuck with a, a large part of the rest of this season of, oh, Kim and Terry are in a room. Oh, Kim and Terry are slightly in danger. Oh, he's random person that Terry wants you. Oh, Kim's in jail. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, Kim in jail, better than Kim and the Cougar. But still, Kim's in jail. <laughs> so, of course she is. Really, though, the beginning of this is also kind of funny, I guess, if you think about it, where, uh, you know, Terry's trying to console Kim, say, don't worry, your dad's coming for us. Like, well, how do you know? Well, they traced the call. Well, how do you know the trace was complete? And she goes, don't worry, he's coming. Because now it's been about 45 minutes. I'm pretty sure if the trace was complete, you would know by now. I mean, actually, it would be interesting to just isolate Kim and Terry in this episode. Because, I mean, maybe like 10 minutes of screen time, if that. But, like... We go from having this conversation to, hey, Kim, don't fall asleep, to literally at the end of this episode, Kim going, dad's not going to come, is he? And Terry's like, I don't know, maybe. Like, it's kind of like, (laughs) I know they're tired. I know they've been through a lot. But, like, I mean, again, isolate these clips. That makes no sense on the grand scheme of things if you're in a room that you're going to be saying this. It's it's like last week when Terry, like, who sent you? Like, (laughs) what do you want from us? Um, I mean, and even also like Rick, this episode, the way Rick's just kind of like, oh yeah, I've got to come in here. Don't tell me anything. And he goes and gets bashed and he comes back and he's got a gun next minute. It's like, huh? How'd you get that gun, Rick? Oh, it's Dan's. Of course it's Dan's. Where was that? Like three hours ago. You've just found this now. Like, I think another thing that would really work if you sort of condense this all into one is that it's not quite believable. The two people who have spent now probably three hours just sitting in the same room, doing nothing would have these 15 minute gaps in between everything they say to each other, you know, Mm. Oh, is dad coming? Uh, Oh, I'm tired. Like, yeah, you could make that one scene and just feature it halfway through the episode and then come back with, you know, uh, uh, Eli at the end. But uh, it, 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 I think the, for me, the location really is hurting this just because I'm bored of this room already. We saw that there's a second part of this room and we know that Eli did something bad in there, but show us the other part of the room. Like, (laughs) I'm going to explore a little bit. I also do love that, like, Kim, who, what, a couple hours ago was like, are you going to tell Dad? Like, Kim knows what's happening in that room. And now Kim's like, what did he do to you in that room, Mum? Like, I feel like she'd be like, how big's his dick? Like, like seriously, like, your stomach's hurting? Like, wow, is he Dan levels of dong size? Like, that's what I feel like she should be asking. And, and like, I also, I do love that, like, we talked about this last week, the cliffhangers. Oh, no, Terry's having cramps. Like, this continues to be a thing. of Like, Terry, like, mm. Oh, and oh, then yeah. like, you should tell someone. 
Imagine if Terry was like, yeah, you're right. Eli, hi, friend. Um, Having stomach <laughs> issues here, could you possibly call a doctor? Oh, sorry. sure, Terry, sure, absolutely. Dr. John, this is Eli. Yeah, that woman I raped earlier, she's having stomach cramps. Could you come and check her out? Like, what? I mean, Kim's a bit, I think it's Kim your is dumb in this episode. I'm sorry, but Kim is very dumb in this episode. Yeah, you know what? You've really convinced me to just cover all the Kim and Terry stuff in one That's shot it. here, so let's go with it. I mean, Rick comes in to check on them, as you said. Um, no wonder Eli beats him up because he's like, oh, I don't want to hear anything. I'm just making an appearance so that they think seconds. that I'm talking to Yeah, and then he's... seconds. That's why Eli's beating you up. Like, stick around, plug your la-la-la-la-la-la for like a two <laughs> minutes doing a commercial break and then walk out. Like, I'd or, be beating Rick up too right now. Or lie. Like, like why yeah. Like why does he just kind of come out and go like, oh, yeah, I'm in here, la da 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 I'm in here, blah, blah, walk out. Hey, guess what? Don't know anything. Okay, again, as you said, 30 <laughs> seconds. Like, literally go in there for like three minutes. We're like, so, Kim, like, after we get you out, you want to like, you know, go to, I don't know, McDonald's and get a shake? Like, you know, like... Fucking furniture store. Furniture store, like, you know, that. But, or like, at least come out and just be like, yeah, so the guy that they talked to was a guy at LAPD, <laughs> Officer Wendell, and... <laughs> He doesn't know where they are and thinks that they're actually at Venice Beach. So we're good. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, seriously. Exactly. Like, just do that. Like, don't come out and be like, oh, no, it doesn't tell me anything. And it's like, fucking Eli. No, I exactly. He's going to bash him up. And Eli <laughs> goes from zero to 100. Like, has Eli showed any sense of, like, I'm going to bash you up before? Like, why is Eli tough all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, we did mention, like, Eli, he's a scrawny guy, but he has that... I'm not even going to call it intimidating. He just has that, like, unsettling look about him. Like, oh, yeah. there's something wrong with this guy. He looks so, like a creep. He does look a bit. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, other than Rick getting beaten up, he gives Terry a gun. Uh, yeah, it doesn't check it first. It doesn't work, clearly. <laughs> well, he says it's loaded. Did he say the safety's off? Because yeah. that becomes a problem when Eli's supposed to kill them. Uh, because, by the way... Uh, Drazen said, oh, we don't need them anymore. I'll give you 30 minutes. If you can't find them in 30 minutes, kill the wife and daughter. Uh, 30 minutes passes, so kill the wife and daughter. Eli goes in there, says, don't worry, I'll make it quick and painless. <laughs> uh, Terry shoots him. Now, one thing that I really love, and I will mention this being like, okay, this might be the first really good Terry Bauer moment we've had in a while, uh, where she fires the second shot, and she says, they're going to expect him to hear two shots. Like, little detail, but we're nitpicking this show and as soon as she fired the first shot i said to myself aren't they gonna expect a second shot and then boom she does it that was great which i actually completely forgot like last episode where we met drazen for the first time and he's like i'm gonna be there like, i actually forgot that he does show up i always thought that he he didn't get there like before everything happens so actually i i like drazen and gain's meeting like i can't like mm-hmm. it's it's we talk about how kind of 24 does this with the first act villains, often a middle act villain, then the big bad. Sometimes you just kind of go straight to the big bad early on. Like season four is an example where I think um, uh, What's-His-Face is introduced very early on and kind of your season four bad is almost the whole season. Um, it might be the only one off the top of my head where that's the case. But, um, yeah, like it's I like it when they meet um, and not just to have a phone call. So I, I like mm-hmm. this interaction. But I, I actually always remember thinking that Terry killing Eli was cheesy. I actually really mm-hmm. like Terry in this episode. Oh, like, yeah. I, I like kind of Terry going from, like, victim to, ah, uh, to, like, she's very tough. And the way she's kind of like to Kim, like, you know, don't fall asleep. And then just this moment right at the end when she just, like, kills him. And, yeah, the two-shot thing, that's awesome. Like, this this might be Terry's best moment of the entire season. Yeah. And 
it's actually the first time I read here in the trivia, the first time that a major character on 24 kills someone that isn't Jack. So that's kind of cool. Um, and when Eli says, don't worry, this will be quick and painless, I want Terry to say, yeah, it's not the first time I've experienced that with you. Uh, <laughs> although painless, I've got these cramps, Eli. Like, yeah. oh, you should be proud. I just wanted Kim to be like, what is it, Mom? Are you gassy? Is it gas? It's gas, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Terry just lets like a... And then he goes, Mom, what did you eat? And then boom, knocks him out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, badass Terry moment. Again, as I said, I thought this was a cheesy moment. It's actually not. You you go, Terry here. You, you go, girl. You go, Leslie Hope Man, whatever yeah. your name is this week. When, when you're like, don't fall asleep, Kim. I, I don't know. Do you hear in your head the same as me? Like, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I know what you're talking about. That's what I hear. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. That anyways, wasn't awkward at all. I Leslie hope that doesn't happen again. Uh, anyways, so the rest of the story, yeah, Jack, let, let's talk about this uh, on its own here. Right? It's everything from the beginning of the episode to this. The Kofal interrogation. So as you mentioned, Nina calls in, says, uh, oh, yeah, like, he's I a control freak. Can I interrupt and give you a suggestion? Because I'm an asshole. You know. I feel like you should get the Palmer stuff out of the way with and just save Jack All right, laugh. fine. Come fine. on, Palmer's Next week, not going to take long. You host the episode. I will. Okay. All right, shut up, Colin. All right, All right back to the real host. Uh, well, I, don't, see, I don't know. I, I just I, feel like Palmer <laughs> drama is like, I mean, it's good, but like, again, Palmer drama takes five minutes. Come on. I'm going to say this week, Palmer drama, this is the peak of Palmer drama for me. Uh, not not for what we're getting, but for the way that it's filmed, for the way it's handled. Uh, who's the director of this episode? David Guggenheim? Um, uh, sure. <laughs> what else has he done on 24? Let's see here. Because this episode, it's filmed expertly. Like the, the way they create the tension between Palmer and Carl is so good. I mean, basically, yeah, we have a scene of him signing a basketball. They're getting lunch at the cafeteria. Again, all these children are now being put in harm's way because there's already been an assassination attempt, but who cares? They're just children. Uh, but the phone call to Carl uh, and then Carl's appearance later, like that is so dramatic and the music has a lot to do with it too the music plays in another part in this episode but if there's any reason to revisit sean calorie's soundtrack for 24 season one and two it's the music that plays during this meeting that he has with carl uh carl is a little bit sinister we mentioned this all the way back to his first opinion appearance he's a little bit sinister anyways but the way that this music sort of plays in the background is you know, Palmer saying, oh, you know what? I you, I have no authority to do that. And he's basically, you, you don't have any authority, Palmer. We both, you know who we both work for, uh, which brings up a good point. I mean, a politician is not free to make all their own choices. You know, there is somebody to support. And I'm not saying like, oh, the money people should control everything, but you don't get there all on your own. And the way that Carl handles the scene, I feel like they're treating him as a villain. But again, I sort of walk away from this being like, Carl's right. Come yeah. on, you go, Carl. Like, not much else of Palmer drama other than, the, you know, the Sherry scene, which, again, is like, oh. wow, well, was right. Like, she is yeah. so good in this scene. Uh, it, it diverts I, your expectations with Sherry because when he kind of calls her out, you're kind of expecting Sherry to be like, well, David, what do you talk? But, like, she literally tells the she's truth. She's so calm. Yeah, and she tells every ounce of truth. And, like, yeah. actually... And I, I like I like the scene in general, and, and like Palmer's actually really good in that scene too. Like I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm still, like again, I see what Palmer's doing. I see that he's mm-hmm. this noble politician, and he's trying to be that way. But I'm still agreeing with everyone here that's not Palmer. Yeah. Like I think they're doing the right thing. 
But like the one thing that I will say, Dennis Haysbert has such a way of making you almost root for what Palmer's doing. Like and and like the general audience when you when you're watching this for the first time and you're not doing what we're doing right now and going over every little thing and analyzing, you are on Team Palmer, like you are on Team David. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think Dennis Haysbert has this level. And, like, I don't think we've praised him enough for his acting and how, you know, you make this guy so likable and so noble and everything. Um, because, and, like, you're right, I think this is kind of peak Palmer drama. And it's such a subtle episode around the Palmer drama. Like, legitimately, it's him at a school, which, can I just point out, I feel so sorry for that teacher at the school. Every single time she's like, this is my big moment. I'm meeting the future president. Like, I want to talk to you about education. I'll be back in a second. Okay, sure. Oh, oh yeah. You two have been together since uh, elementary school. I'll be back in a second. Okay, sure. Um, oh, so I want yeah, to talk to you about this. Uh, Mike knows a lot about this. Okay, sure. Like, yeah, that was my favorite one. Was like, you know, I do have a few suggestions. Like, oh, well, let's hear them. You know what? Talk to Mike. I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike immediately comes in and is like, tell me your plans. <laughs> like, she, she legitimately goes from talking to Palmer to talking to Sherry, which, okay, like, is kind of cool. To Like, like imagine that this is, like, peak Barack Obama moment. Oh, I'm going to talk to Obama. Obama goes and makes fun. Okay, I'm going talk to michelle obama that's pretty okay cool now you're going to talk to his chief of staff like huh? okay also i do love this woman who's like enamored by david palmer and sherry palmer being at a school to like when she's so shocked like you two knew each other at high school like if this guy is running for president i'm sure his story has been told like fifty-eight thousand times on 60 minutes and like yeah. cnn and and like this would like we know about Barack and Michelle Obama's. Like, they made a movie on them meeting in school and all that sort of stuff. Like, everybody knows, like, the story. of that. And I'm sure it would be the same with David and Sherry. So, like, how mm-hmm. is, like, you two have known each other from school? I want Palmer to turn and go, bitch, please, don't you know our bio? <laughs> like, everyone, like, homeless kids on the street know that, dog, this guy's running for president. Like, I'm just like, dog, he knew his wife in high school. <laughs> like, I'm sure that's happening. But... In all seriousness, like, yeah, Sherry just like, God, this woman is amazing. Like, screw everyone saying she's like one of the most evil, sinister people. Like, just the way she... And even the way this scene's playing out because they know the cameras and everything are on them and the way they're kind of like smiling and it's like... David's like, oh. shouldn't that be something you should have told me? And then the way he like kisses her on the head and she's like, that's unfair, David. And just... Oh, so good. And what is, can I just ask, what is with this sinister white men smoking club? Like, Carl's looking a bit <laughs> disheveled um, still. Um, he, what's, why is the room so dark, too? It's like 11 a.m. Yeah, and, like, why is this, like, okay, I get this meeting thing, but, like, is, is David Palmer on this photo op? He's just survived an assassination attempt. He's just going to, like, wouldn't the cameras, because we know what cameras and dirty journalists are like, disgusting journalists, like, if Palmer's here walking along with the principal of this school, you've got all these cameras surrounding, photo, click, 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 and Palmer's just gone, oh, excuse me, I'm just going to go talk to this random stranger who's, like, off in the distance. Like, is there not going to be one photographer who's going to take a picture and then is going to maybe put the thing up on, like, CNN.com and be like, who is this strange man that David Palmer is talking to and snuck off in the background while, you know, at this school talking about education reform? Like, yeah, clearly news... Cameras work differently in 2001, but it's all great. And like kind of just the way he's, and also one thing, the one little mistake I will say at the very end of this episode, Palmer like rings up and it's like, hi, I want to get to a George Farragama and just connect me straight through. Don't put me on hold. Oh yeah. Okay. So there he is. And then we literally cut back at the end of the episode when we've got the closing moments, he's calling another number. So clearly directory assistance in LA in 2001 sucked. <laughs> and, oh, and there's another moment when he calls um, Carl so that's like, I don't know, like 
10.37 a.m. or something. And then the next time you see David on screen, five minutes have passed. He's still standing in the same spot, like looking disheveled, like oh, that phone call. And then Sherry kind of looks over like, David, what's wrong? Has he been standing there for five minutes just going, <laughs> oh, that phone call was hard <laughs> on me. Like, again, I don't buy it. I Curtis, need a nap. <laughs> yeah, he needs a nap. And David, I'm gassy. David Guggenheim, did you, did you just read a little bit more about him? Because he's an interesting guy. He's an Academy Award winner. And he's married uh, to right Elizabeth Shue. Is he really? He is. Has been Lucky married to man. For wow. 20 years. And if people don't know who we're talking about, Back to the Future, Elizabeth Shue. Um, plenty of other things as well. But uh, Karate Kid. We talked about Elizabeth Shue recently. Maybe we did know this. I feel like she was brought up on something. Or did we do a movie or something with her in it? Well, I think we talked about doing Hollow Man at one point, but uh, I swear wow, what, so, what a woman. Yeah, but um, and yeah, so he won an Oscar for An Inconvenient Truth. He was the director of that and uh, got that. Oh, you know what? Award. So he he yeah. only did two episodes yep. of 24, which the previous terrible week and this one. So yeah. uh, he also did a great episode of Alias the same year. So oh, well, uh, busy man in 2001. Yeah, but good, what's better, winning an Oscar or being married to Elizabeth Shue? Be married to Elizabeth. <laughs> Anyone can win an Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Kobe Bryant won one. May he rest in peace. Um, yeah, and it's not David; it's Davis Guggenheim. Oh, sorry, Davis. Our apologies, Davis. Um, but yeah, Palmer drama good. Yeah, Palmer. And now this is something else I want to say about Palmer drama. Uh, I, I feel like the Palmer drama in the first half of the season, I sort of made the case you could have just introduced Palmer for the first time uh, at the beginning of uh, the assassination attempt or whatever. Um, I feel like what really works from this point on is us getting this background of uh, what it would really be like for a politician running for office and the, the dirty things that go behind the scenes and the fact that we're seeing a politician who was unprepared for the politics side mm. of being a politician. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's going to be most interesting about the Palmer drama going forward. Like, this I would have been okay with as its own spinoff. You don't tie it to Operation Nightfall. I'm not saying I'm complaining that they they did tie it to Operation Nightfall, but just this on its own is a good spinoff. Do a 24 TV series. There's talk about you know using the 24 format. Um, I think uh, Cerno and Cochran were even working on a, a law version of this where you're following you know a trial, like a one day of a trial uh, over a course of 24 hours. You could do this with a political campaign, like just make a 24 show just about politics because this episode proves that it really would work. Yeah, and I mean, the politics side of 24 kind of sticks around, doesn't it? Like, I mean, you've always, I mean, this is the only season that we don't have a president. Like, I think kind of it's always questionable in the 24 timeline, like who the president is this season. And I'm pretty sure this is the only season where we never get a, a direct contact or a knowledge of who the president is. But even kind of around the political drama of like what we get later on, like this is, I feel, the most complex in the fact that it's just, and we've said this at the very beginning of this season, this is just a, a substandard plot. Like when I say substandard, like, you know, this isn't a nuclear bomb about to go off in the States or a chemical warfare or, you know, war with China. Like this is just literally an assassination attempt on a future president. It's simple and as bare bones as you're going to get. So I think kind of that's where the, the politics side of this is, is intriguing and works and you think of any political show that you may have watched, whether you're like a West Wing fan or you watch Designated Survivor or any of these types of shows, House of Cards, like there's always levels of intrigue around politics and whether you're into politics or not, a good political drama is always entertaining to watch. And yeah, I think kind of the, the, the polit- political side of this 
works. And I think when in the myriad of 24 spin-offs they've always talked about, I think there legitimately was one they talked about doing that was like a political one. I know they talked about doing like a one in a lawyer's office, but I'm pretty sure they talked about doing like a political drama just based in the 24 universe. So I'd watch it. Like bring hashtag bring back Palmer. Like, you know, Dennis Haysbert, I don't know what he's doing now. He's looking good in his little <laughs> yeah. hat on IMDb. So bring back David Palmer in a hat. And he doesn't age. He could play young Palmer. Yeah, Palmer 4. That's what you need to call it. <laughs> Just It took me like a couple seconds to get that. He's been um, in Lucifer. He <laughs> plays God in Lucifer. Look at that. He goes from playing the President of the United States. Where do you go from there? I played God in Lucifer. So <laughs> he'd be a good God. I'd be. I'd, I'd believe in God if Dennis Haysbert was God. So there you go. All right, so let's get to the main event here. Um, we'll talk about the second half of the episode in a second, but uh, the torture scene or the threat of Ooh. a torture scene, which it ultimately comes down to. Now, is this the moment you, you're talking about? It's like this is the great Jack Bauer moment? Oh, yeah. This is um, nomination for top five. Absolutely. I think the, the thing that I love about this too <laughs> is that it's the build-up to this. Like I always kind of picture this as just like a scene in isolation that you kind of cut to Jack with a towel when he gets in, but... It's not like it kind of just it builds up with him kind of outside the the limo. Then he just gets in, and then this is just one of those scenes that you remember watching for the first time. And like this is one of those scenes you remember in general. And mm-hmm. I bring this up like if we're talking about torture because that's just a common conversation that you have with your friends. But like you you bring this up as like a, a technique, and like and you think about this. This is one of those ones where you're like, holy fuck! Like that would be like the worst thing imaginable. And th- this is a show that gets criticized heavily in future seasons for its depiction of torture. This gets to a mm-hmm. point where like I think high-ranking White House officials are talking about 24 and it's <laughs> over the top use of torture and they had to scale this back. Like this was an actual like trending topic on Twitter if Twitter was a thing like back in the, like this was a big deal 24 and its depiction of torture. And this does it in a way where you don't even show it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I could tell you maybe, like, 10 scenes of torture in 24 and, and remember it, and you oh, yeah, that one, that one, that one. This one, you don't, it doesn't even happen, and this is, like, the number one one I remember. Like, yeah. fucking hell. Colin, take us through this. This is, like, oh, just even thinking okay, about it now. so the fact that Nina basically tells Jack, hey, he's a control freak, here's just one idea. Control freaks, sometimes the threat of pain is worse than inflicting the pain itself. Jack's like, got it. That was probably done because they couldn't show the violence on screen. Mm. I get that. But that is what makes this so effective because I don't care what I see Jack Bauer doing. Hearing Jack Bauer make the threat with a soaked towel that he's rolling up. I bet you don't think that I could get this towel all the way down your throat to your stomach, but I can and I will. And it talks about ripping it out and bringing the stomach lining with it. I mean, it is so grotesque, but like, I remember my brother and I watching this the first time and just applauding the man. And any time, as I said, we would bring up Jack Bauer. Oh, I bet you don't think I get this towel all the way down. That line stuck out to me so well. No way would I remember this scene if Jack Bauer just took a towel and shoved it down his throat. Yeah. Just him threatening it is the craziest thing ever. And again, I'm rewatching Alias season one right now. And uh, again, a very similar scene with Victor Garber's character, who, you know, is pretty much the alias version of Jack Bauer, uh, just making a threat. And you remember that it's so memorable and it's so crazy. And, and it, I don't care about whether it's just thing for control freaks. Like 
I'm more scared hearing about what you will do than doing it. You know, if you did it fine, I, by the time you're done, I've, as long as I'm still alive, I'm okay, but I don't want to hear what you're going to do to me. And this is what's so great about Jack. And this is why this episode is such a solidification of him as a character. Cause like Jack can go from zero to a hundred, like in a moment, but like, it's these subtle moments when he's trying to like interrogate people and just, he has these moments of just like, wow. And the, the one thing too, that I've really only noticed in this episode, it's the, it's the different angles of Jack's like ability to get stuff out of people. Like when later on with Kevin Carroll, when like literally Kevin Carroll's like, Oh yeah. Like I, I can withstand pain pretty much. And Jack's just basically like, how about you take me to my family and we'll see how much you can withstand pain. And just, he gives this look, he just has this like death stare and like Kevin Carroll's kind of laughing. And then he's like, okay, I'll take you to your family. Whereas like this guy, like <laughs> Ted's kind of like a bit of a tough nut, right? Like I, 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 one thing I will say that's negative. I feel we'd never find out who Ted is. I think maybe there's a passing yeah. reference in a future episode, maybe, but like, who is this guy? This guy's like a fucking mental case. If he's just going to sit here and not do it. But I mean, God, like, and all this scene is, is Jack Bauer with a towel mentioning that, like, oh, the Russians didn't have much, so this is what they did. And I do have to say, I'm sure Jamie got a bit excited when uh, he said, I bet you think I can't force this down your throat, but I can. Like, <laughs> Jack's used to forcing big things down people's throats and gag reflex and it's a sex joke. Uh, Colin, I, look it up. I um, bet you that that's her <laughs> ringtone right now. <laughs> We're creating new ringtones for everybody today. But, like, imagine this scene. Imagine, like, Keeper Sutherland acting out this scene. Like, just, oh, I can shove this. Like, I want to see this. I want to see Jack Bauer forcing this towel <laughs> down his throat. And then the thing is, like, you think about the torture level of this. Okay, it's getting down the throat. You have to wait for the top of his stomach lining to just start digesting it. How do you know that for a fact? And like, how long does it have to stay there till it starts digesting it? So this guy's gonna be like, I've got this down my throat, rip it, and it takes a week to die. A yeah. week <laughs> to die. Fuck. Yeah, I'm not gonna rush her anytime soon. Yeah, uh, but you know what? Here's the other thing. This is, it's not waterboarding. No. When we see him soaking a towel with water. This is pre, I guess, public knowing about waterboarding. That would become a big deal later on. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if this is a real torture tactic, you know, because yeah. does it I, work? I don't know. We're going to test it. Ben, sure. get a towel. We'll get Noah on. Um, but I also <laughs> I also love like Jack outside the thing later on when he's going to be like banging the limo with the towel to like torture this guy. But I mean, yeah, I, I I definitely nominate this for a top five. Again, as I said, like this is a tricky one because there's three moments in the last episode alone. I, like right now, I'm, I've got five moments in my mind that make the top five for this season. I know we've kind of already put up, I think, like two as potential nominations, um, mm-hmm. but like they won't make it. Like I will fight for this. But yeah, like I, um, I'm pretty sure I mentioned before that like many, many years ago, I think, in, I think it was just at either halfway through season five or the beginning of season six, I put together like the top 24 moments of 24. I think like I was in a, a, mm. in a bunch of fan groups on live journal at the time and I got people to vote and um, there's maybe three, four, there's four season one moments that make the top 24. And I think they're all in the top 10 moments of all time. The, the number one moment of all time in 24 I had was from this season. Um, mm. So, but this wasn't in it. Like I have, the hacksaw moment from next season, which I mean, that's a clear nomination for season two. Yeah, which is very similar to this. It's a, it's more of a in your face moment, but like this is just such a subtle. Like I can't believe I didn't have this in the top twenty four moments of twenty four. So just yeah. skipping ahead, did Chase? Oh, that was make number two. Season three. That was number two. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But actually, season uh, three 
had a lot, like I watched it all last night at the time of recording this and because um, it had been a while and I couldn't remember what I had. Season three had a lot more moments than I remember and it actually straight away, I'm like, fuck season three is good. Like I'm like season three, like I often feel I defend season four because like season four people think, and like season two's got its moments, don't get me wrong. But like the more and more I think about season three, I'm like, wow, season three, again, long-term listeners, if you listen to our Nip Tuck coverage, it's kind of like when I defended season four of Nip Tuck and that ended up being my number one season out of all the seasons. I never would have thought that. But um, yeah, season three is such an underrated season. I can't wait till we get to that. I'm I'm gonna be curious if you're gonna be able to sell me on it because uh, I don't have a problem with season three. I mean, I watched uh, I watched the whole season twice. I've watched the first eight episodes probably a dozen times because I feel like the first eight episodes uh, is maybe some of the best stuff the show ever did. Once they play Russian roulette, it sort of goes downhill from there. So, uh, like, well, yeah, I remember. Like, don't get me wrong, there was definitely some stuff there, but I I actually kind of am on the mindset that. Um, I think some of the early stuff kind of wanes on me a bit. Like I, I like the Salazar oh. stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I'm such a Saunders fanboy. Like I love Saunders. Like again, and we rank the. That's villains. me with Salazar. <laughs> Saunders probably comes on top as my number one villain in 24, uh, and he's, he's just like an over the top Bond villain. Is Saunders? Let's be honest, he's basically a Bond villain. But maybe that's why I love him so much. Mm. Uh, yeah. So this scene, highlight of the season, maybe uh, definitely the highlight of season up until this point. Uh, there is uh, the moment we'll kind of uh, cover everything that happens after this, I guess, just sort of breeze through it here. Uh, CTU stuff. We get hi, Bill. <laughs> Jack's hi. calling Nina. Bill. <laughs> and, and what makes this even better is like she's struggling to think of a name. Yeah. And then she picks the very name of the person that Alberta's like, oh, yeah, I need to talk to him. Put him on the line. Uh, he's busy now. He'll call you back. But, but uh, do you not think, I, I kind of read that as Alberta knows she's lying. Cause you just got that look on the, her face. Does and she? she's just like, oh, I need to speak to Bill. Cause like, she just got a look <laughs> on her face, like a suspicion. And that's when Tony kind of jumps in. So I've always read that as she doesn't really want to talk to Bill. She's just like, oh, I need to talk to Bill. Can I speak to him? Like I just, and that's what, how Did I she get the last name of Bill? Yeah. It's Bill. I've written it down somewhere. Um, not Bill Buchanan. Oh, Bill. I <laughs> Bill Buchanan. Imagine if it was, that'd be kind of a cool little thing. Um, yeah. Bill Warner at the bureau. It's Bill Warner. Bill. So what if uh, she felt, hi, Bill, it's Bill Warner at <laughs> division. And she said, oh, I need to talk to him. Not that Bill Warner, the, uh, guy with the mustache and a gimpy leg <laughs> yeah that's the one. <laughs> oh, that's the one i wanted to talk to oh i'm sleeping okay with you. <laughs> you're, you're you're cutting out bill with the mustache and gimpy leg i gotta go <laughs> say hi to the wife and kids oh wait you're sleeping with alberta that's awkward bye-bye <laughs> uh really not much else to talk to about uh because almost everything that happens uh i was gonna call it at 24 at ctu is just need <laughs> on the phone with jack but there's one good moment there um all right, so rest of the stuff here. He doesn't actually go through with the torture scene. Uh, Kofel kind of breaks down as Jack's talking about, I need to find my family. And he shows him a picture of his family in his wallet. Uh, you really do feel for this guy. And mm. you mentioned, like, do we, we don't really find out much about him. I Normally, I think that would bother me, but I kind of like in this case, I think because they were subtle enough in showing, okay, well, he knows Alan York or Alan Fork, uh, Kevin Carroll. But uh, I don't think we need to know what else his connection is because I feel like what this all leads towards with Jack's torture of him uh, and the um, uh, the heart attack, like they say he has a heart condition or whatever. And 
Jack basically tackling him in the back seat. Like, you don't know what I'm going to do to you. And then he starts having a heart attack. Jack basically punches him in the chest. Um, he starts having a heart attack and he says, your pills, your pills, here, take your pills. And he refuses to take them. Like that's, it's, it's basically like the Dr. No moment where Bond uh, has the guy who takes the cyanide capsule instead of talking to him it reminds me uh, of dumb and is... dumber it reminds me when he's like here's your pills pills are good yeah. and he gives him the rat poison instead <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah. Oh. that's what it reminds me of uh but uh the the moment where he decides not to take the pill like just the desperation on kofel's face uh we're not really gonna see him again sadly but uh this guy's pretty good you mm. know for having just Really, one episode. I mean, brief appearance last week, and then one episode here. I mean, I would take him over our waitress or um, <laughs> any of the other one episode guest spots we've had so far. I think this guy's the guest star of the season, especially with his death scene here. Curry Graham is his name, uh, best known for his roles on Assault on Precinct Thirteen, Pompeii. NYPD Blue, and one of the shows we talk about a lot on this show. Suddenly, Susan. Of course, um, that's where I knew him. It was him from. actually, in all seriousness, I thought I recognised him. He was in Desperate Housewives for quite some time, so uh, there you go. Also, a very ninety standard actor, Drew Carey show. You remember the Drew Carey show? Um, oh yeah. What else is he in House? Um, has he been on Law and Order SVU? Come on, let's uh, tick it. Tick this. <laughs> or on uh, Law and Order SVU? Uh, what was that one that um, very special victims unit or something? Very like special. That. <laughs> um, has he not been on Law and Order? Get your sh- oh, no, he's been on Law & Order, Los <laughs> Angeles, and the original Law & Order. So, okay, there you go. But, no, he's, he's out there. I, I definitely think he's a, he's, a, he's a great guy. And, like, I kind of get what you're saying. Like, yeah, you kind of don't want to. But, like, I don't know. I'd like to know what connection does he have to the Drazens and everything. But one thing I'll say, and I might be jumping in here, you might be able to mention this. This is actually a really important moment in this episode. Like, the, the palm, there was a Palmer bit earlier that we didn't talk about where um, – Mike Novick sort of brings up, like, you asked me to look into Jack Bauer, and, you know, and there's a few bits missing from his history, and then Palmer's like, was one of them about two years ago? Uh, yeah. And it was like, yes. And it's like, we'll get into that later. And then Jack actually mentions the first time we hear the word nightfall. Now, it's interesting mm-hmm. we talk about Stephen Saunders because uh, season three, big bad villain Stephen Saunders has, is actually connected to the main plot of this season. Um, and this is where the comics come in, which I do have, like the, the background. So we, again, you're going to learn more about Nightfall in this season, but this no- Operation Nightfall actually is a big element in 24. Like this is actually a big thing. Not just to, in the comic books. Yeah, like this is kind of the reason The reason behind the whole plot of season one is to do with this Operation Nightfall. And you would argue the, op- the whole reason behind the plot behind season three is because of Operation Nightfall. Um, so yeah, it's, we get that for the first time mentioned here. It's related to Serbia. Cause he, I love how Jack straight away is like, why are you speaking Serbian? <laughs> what are you why saying? Why did you say that name? <laughs> why did you say that name? I actually love, like, I, I actually laugh when Jack's giving him the pills. Take your pills. Take your pills. <laughs> the doctor always said to take your pills. What a day with water. Do not eat or drink beforehand. <laughs> damn it. Jack needed to drop a damn it here. <laughs> What if he just didn't take his pills because he's one of these people who has trouble swallowing pills? You know these people with the gag yeah. reflex won't let them? Yep. And he's like, I would, but you used all the water. <laughs> got, got to say, Jack, false advertising. I can force his towel down your throat. You can't even get pills force down pill. your throat, Jack. Jesus. 
do better training. Also, one thing I want to add to, I realize this is a TV show. I realize that in order to film a scene in a limo like this, a tight space, you have to have some creative liberties. You have to have an open yeah. space to fit cameras and lighting in. But taking that aside, this fucking limo has got a lot of space. Like, I mean, it's like three meters between Jack and Ted in this thing. Uh, like, it's it's ridiculously large. Also, uh, first time we ever see Jack Bauer cry. Yeah, well, see, that's what I was going to get to next. So this is another Sorry, Kiefer Colin. highlight in the episode. Yep. Uh, just kind of wrapping it up here. Um, uh, I should mention, I, I do also do like the one other thing that happened at CTU that I forgot about where Tony uh, goes up and says, listen, I think we should tell Alberta what's going on. And she's, but Jack said no. <laughs> That's her entire excuse. And Jack's like, and Tony's like, all right, because we're sleeping together and I'm kind of horny right now, so I'm going to go back to my desk. Jack's got rank now, but <laughs> out of here, we're something else. You want to bring Jack into the bedroom? <laughs> bring Cubby as well. We'll have an orgy. <laughs> we saw we'll Cubby last week. Did I mention that? We, saw, we didn't see Cubby this week, but Cubby was on screen. Good for Cubby. Good for Cubby, you know, collecting a paycheck, getting some new screen time. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we get Jack's breakdown here, which is the other highlight of Kiefer in this episode. But Kiefer is so all over the place in a good way. He is all over the place in this episode. We see him as calm Jack. We see him as explosive Jack. We see him as emotional Jack here. Like you said, Jack breaks down and cries to Nina. I just want to find my wife and daughter. <laughs> Kofu wouldn't take his pills. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair. He's overly critical. He never listens. I hate him. I hate all of them. The women and the children. (laughs) It's all Nina's fault. Um, Yeah, I I love like the way Kiefer does this going from like, where is my family? Where is my family? Cries on the phone to Nina. And then I love that moment when he's like, pull it together, Jack. Pull it together. Like it's it's, it's just like you should be laughing at that. Like that's one of those moments where it's like it's a bit silly. But Kiefer does it in a way that like it just like oh you're just so on board with him and then just even the yeah. way he, he starts dressing Ted and tightening his tie up and it's like okay well this makes sense what his plan is going to be but fucking hell Kiva Sutherland like had he ever had a performance like this in any movie because like the only movies no. I'd ever seen him in like uh, Freeway was that was that what it's called with Reese Witherspoon yeah. that was amazing I just recently watched Phone Booth uh, and you see him for like a second, but I mean, Keith Sutherland's amazing in phone booth. The Lost Boys, um, wasn't he? Sentinel in... with Michael Douglas. No, not seen that. Um, Stand by me, isn't he the bad guy? Like he's always the bad guy. Yeah, right? he's like it's a small role. Yeah, but he's he's the bad guy in Stand by Me. And I'm not. I really want to see the one with um. Oh, what's the one with Kevin Bacon that they remade recently? Is it Hackers? Not Hackers. Um, Please not like, Hackers. Were they like they die? And they basically to get high. Oh, flatliners! Flatliners, thank you. Yeah, um, which yeah, I mean, Kevin know, Bacon you, and Keith Sutherland together. So sadly, you left off um, both a few good men and him playing a, a racist rapist. A time to kill. Oh, is he in a few good men? I didn't know Keith Sutherland was in a few good men. Yeah. Oh wow. But I mean, like this is a guy that just was renowned for playing villains, right? But like, I don't. I mean, from what I've seen, he's never as good as he is in this. Like. I, I know kind of he was one of the first, maybe the first sort of movie star to go, fuck it, I'm going to TV, and now this is just mm-hmm. common. Like, it's if you're a massive movie star and haven't done TV, you're a loser. But, um, I mean... like You're a loser. Make, <laughs> you're a loser. <laughs> I'm looking at you. Oh, no, Meryl Streep did do TV. Uh, I'm looking at you, insert movie star here who hasn't done TV. Uh, Denzel. Matt, Matt Damon is Matt Damon. You're a loser, Matt Damon. Do TV. Um, ben Affleck. Well, he's about to do. Uh, well, at the time of releasing this, he's already done Justice League. Technically TV. But this makes me think. Keeper Sutherland. 
could he have been an Oscar-nominated actor had he stuck to movies? Because, I mean, if he's this good, maybe he still will be. Is this time? I haven't seen Kiefer in a movie for a while, so... When the 24 movie, hey, they talked about that for a long time. Oh, well, that'll come out one day, sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, his breakdown with Nina's fantastic. Uh, the way that Nina sort of just you know, keeps him together too is great. Uh, you know, calm down. You can still go after, uh, I, I see the scenes a little bit differently than they're actually, uh, intended to be, but it's almost like, Hey, can't you still go meet with that Kevin Carroll? <laughs> okay, Nina, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> That's basically the way it is. Like she's the one who says, no, you got, you got work to do here, which, you know, when we get to the end of the season, I'm going to have to revisit some of her moves here, but, yeah. uh, Basically, he goes to find Kevin Carroll. So he pulls into a nice little parking garage, uh, decides to sit Bernie here from Weekend at Bernie's <laughs> back seat, <laughs> leaves the door open, and uh, a man walks in and sits down in the car and starts talking to a corpse. And Jack locks the doors. And who's this? Hello, Alan. <laughs> it's Alan York. Alan Richard York. You come from the valley. There he is. Oh, missed you, Alan York. <laughs> I remember this for the first time. Like the, the two moments, whenever the name Alan York comes up, I think about uh, the, the moment where you finally realize when he's in the car with Terry and he goes, his name's Alan York. <laughs> and then this, where uh, you think he's gone. You think, oh, we're never going to hear from that guy again. And then the guy that steps in the back of the car and Jack just immediately be like, hello, Alan. Like, <laughs> It's like this hello clary thing hello alan uh, it's good to see you again oh <laughs> uh, it's just so good and then of course beating him up in the back seat uh and as you mentioned like i don't even think i really drew that the comparison here but the difference between his torture of kofel and his torture of alan he basically says to alan you know what take me to wife and daughter and he says okay but, but you gotta let me go <laughs> it's it's that it's it's the sequence though because it's like a five second like like Kevin's almost a smug here. He's just like, oh, yeah, I can withstand torture and, like, fuck you, your wife. And just, Jack's just got this stare. He's just, like, staring yeah. at him. And, like, Kevin's just got this smirk, like, <laughs> he's like, oh, fuck, I'll take you to your wife and daughter. Like, yeah. I just I just love the the way that happens. And, like, I love this whole sequence and the music. You talked about the music before. The bit where, like, Jack's just, like, driving around this parking garage and, like, smacking him around. Music again? Doing it, like, I, I want it to be, like, um, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies where, like, he's, you know, got the control. <laughs> like, like, you see Pierce Brosnan in the background controlling this car. But, um, oh, it's so good. And actually, I want to give props to Richard Berge here. Like, the wannabe Jack Bauer. Should have been Jack Bauer. But, um, like, Richard Berge kind of, like, he's had a pretty good season. The way he kind of plays this, you know, innocent Alan York to, no, I'm going to be a murderer. And I actually like this kind of wimpy Richard Berge, Alan York, Kevin Carroll. Like, the man of many faces well here. I, see, here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm curious about this because do you consider him to be wimpy? Because I sort of read this scene as he knows what Jack is capable of. He's just a he's oh, I'm just in this for the money. So sure, I'll do what you say, because, you know, I'll live like I, I almost see this more as just like this is smart, you know, professional Kevin Carroll, who's just like this is the right move for me. I mean, I see it, but I also think it also comes down to win because it just comes to that look that basically you know, he's willing to just like, he just gives up. He just, he literally gives up with a look of the fear factor of, okay, fuck, you're going to hurt me. Like, just take me there. Like he, he's totally a wimp. Like, yeah, he's well, trying to do that. So, like he's, he's one of these like sleazy, wimpy type of people that like he acts tough 
and he thinks about his checkbook and like, but like at the end of the day, if, if you were to really test this guy, he, he would cave in a minute. Like Jack would get the towel out and not even mention the terror, the, like the torture. All right, I'll talk. Um, it's like, it's like on, here's a weird comparison, finding Nemo when they put the oh, crab up. I they, have watched that talk. movie probably a dozen times in the last week. Well, there you go. So that, the, that is it a, it's the crab, isn't it? Voiced by Australia's very famous, uh, <laughs> basically Australia's David Letterman, Rove McManus is the voice of that crab. And basically he's like, yeah, I know his are, but I'm not going to tell you nothing. And then holds him up to the seagulls. All right, I'll talk, I'll talk. Like that's yeah, Kevin Carroll. Yeah. Uh, but see, what I think is that it comes down to when Jack says to him, it's like, all right, as soon as I know they're safe, I'll let you go. You have my word. It's not him saying that. It's the fact that Kevin Carroll almost laughs at him. Says your word. So that's why I sort of interpret it more. Not so much that he's wimpy, uh, but he just knows this guy's serious, and I'm not going to take my chances. Like I think he he still has some balls on him. Which I think. I mean, little random things I think about in this. Like he goes off in Kevin Carroll's car. They go into the compound. Does some random person in that parking garage just find a limo with dead Ted in it? Basically, <laughs> like where's that investigation? But. I always, I'm pretty sure it's, it would be the next episode. I love this. Uh, I'm jumping ahead, I know, but just watch out for the line next week when Kevin Carroll goes to the compound. It's like, what happened to your face? It's like, I got into a fight with your wife or something. Like that. <laughs> like he said, I can't remember exactly what the line is, but it's, it's hilarious. Can I just point out quickly with Kiefer, the movies, hasn't been in a movie since 2017 when he was in the remake of Flatliners uh, and also in another really? movie called Where is Kyra, where he played Doug alongside Michelle Pfeiffer. And before that... He, uh, the epic cameo I remember of him in Zoolander 2 when essentially to me he plays himself but he's so much more Jack Bauer than, like I think they should have just called the character Jack Bauer and so, I don't know if you've seen Zoolander 2 but I no. love just the randomness of Kiefer Sutherland playing himself in Zoolander 2 and it's I think for, like I've seen it once but I think it's like Zoolander is all like I don't know if you remember the first one when he like sees Billy Zane and he's like listen to your friend Billy Zane he's a cool dude like it's just some random thing so like in the second one it's like this is my friend, Kiefer Sutherland. And like, <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland just shows up and plays like this warped version of himself, which is essentially Jack Bauer. But anyway, um, not the point. I don't know what the point is. Kiefer Sutherland's awesome. Kiefer likes taquitos too. Yeah. And also... He does. You, did we ever, like, we've talked a lot about actors on this show who have bands. And like, I mean, I got the chance to interview Kevin Bacon just because he's a singer. I wouldn't have had otherwise. Did we ever tell the story about how you were going to buy tickets to see Kiefer Sutherland live in Winnipeg? Oh, yeah. And what happened there? Like, Jamie wouldn't let you or something? No, it was, uh, I think you found out about it, um, but uh, it was, like, on the Thursday or the Friday, and it was, like, a Saturday show. And I I don't remember if it's that we had plans already that weekend, uh, or it was just too short notice so we couldn't get a babysitter. But, you know, Kiefer Sutherland's here. We would have gone. So if, if he ever comes back then give me give me more than two days notice yeah well this is the thing like i i would be the same if all of a sudden it was like because he sings he's released a couple of albums good for Kiefer, and like i've heard some of his stuff and like i mean you know he's he's no bruce springsteen but i mean he's you know he's fine um sorry brian adams i should say he's canadian but like i mean honestly if, if Kiefer Sutherland's touring and he's doing a live show i'm gonna go see him whether i like his music or not and i'm gonna bang around the stage door and i'm just gonna like Kiefer, i've got a christmas tree for you um and Shove a towel down my throat. <laughs> Jamie. Shove a towel <laughs> down my throat. It's like, I think I've told the story towel. before about how when uh, Russell Crowe was really into his 30-odd-foot-of-grunt band, 
uh, they actually came to Hobart and performed, and I wanted to go see just. And I think that's why everyone was like, "I'm going to go see Thirty Odd Footy Run to see Russell Crowe," and like everyone bagged him out for his bad music. But I never ended up going to see him. But I mean, look, Bacon Brothers, go and see only for Kevin Bacon. I would go see David Duchovny live. He's just released a new album. Um, who <laughs> David are, are, Duchovny sings. Oh yeah, he does. He also writes books. David Duchovny's a, a man of many talents, Colin. Um, but there are so many actors who sing that, like Bruce Willis. Let's go see Bruce Willis live. Why wouldn't you? you oh, know? yeah. And let's I be will. honest, 90% of people in that crowd are not there to listen to their music. They're there to see yeah, Keith sure. Sutherland. Like, oh, it's Jack Bauer. Uh, anyways, we are <laughs> at the end of this episode and in love with Kiefer Sutherland, apparently. Oh, what <laughs> a man. Uh, but uh, we got to rate this episode and rank it. Um, I'm guessing you are going to go with a high bin as you teased at the beginning of this episode. Yes. We should also just point out this is the first time uh, Jack's killed someone since uh, episode two. So uh, this is, remember ages ago we said Jack didn't kill someone for a long time and yeah. Does he kill him or does Kofel kill himself? Well, I mean, I don't think Kofel decided to have a heart attack. I don't think that's how it works. Well, but he decided <laughs> not to take his pills, though. Suicide. Uh, ways to kill yourself. <laughs> think about having... I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going, oh, I'm having a heart let, attack. Let, I'm killing myself. But let's let's go back to Dr. No. That guy who took the cyanide cap, uh, capsule. Did I Bond would kill say him or did it's he kill more of a jack. Because, like, I mean, without that whack to the heart, Ted doesn't die. So... I mean, it's like, isn't that how what's, isn't that how Bill dies in Kill Bill from memory? Like, I remember that being such an underwhelming death. Um, no, I, I would count it as a kill. Can I also say, like, looking at the kill count of this season, I think we went over this. I think season one has the least amount of Jack kills. He only has 10 kills this season. And if I'm scrolling The through, least amount is double digits. It is. Like, looking through each of the seasons, uh, every other season, often have in, the, like, the 30s and 40s, even Redemption, a two-hour TV movie, has more kills than season one of 24. Um, yeah, this is the least kills by far. Uh, spoiler alert, he'll kill two people next week. Uh, no, one person next week. Two people next week. A person the following week. Two people the following And then he goes like 12 episodes without killing people. So not actually the biggest length in time of killing people. Anyway, um, I'm buying this episode, Colin. Sorry, I keep getting yep. sidetracked. Uh, absolute, absolutely buying this episode. Absolutely. This is, and I honestly came to this episode thinking you wouldn't be a fan of it. but uh, Oh, no. What do I know? And uh, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm ranking it in just a moment. I'm guessing you're buying it as well? I'm buying it, and I'll tell you where I'm ranking it right now. I'm ranking this number one. Ooh. Um, this, Ooh. Beats, this beats episode seven, which was the um, uh, Nina fake death. Uh, so th this one's not even like I, I go through the rankings because, again, you don't necessarily remember. Oh, yeah, this one based on the title. And I'm like, OK, I think this might be a top three episode. And then I'll look through. I'm like, OK, what's my number three? OK, better than that. What's my number two? OK, better than that. What's my number one? OK, better than that. So this one, it wasn't even hard for me to make the decision. This is my number one right now. Um, I was thinking about putting this at number two because I still really like the assassination attempt episode. But no, I think I'm with you. I think um, just if I'm to think back on like this season and go, oh, what's a better episode? Jack wanting to force a towel down someone's throat or the assassination. <laughs> I mean, just just the towel alone is so, so good. So And then um, you add like Carl and Sherry in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, um, I, yeah, number one. And like... 
this is the thing I think to head to next week and next week's in itself is a, like next week's probably the most action packed we'll get so far but um, no yeah I'm going to put this at number one alright we're in agreement we are ding 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 winner winner chicken dinner uh, so next week without spoiling too much what do we have to look forward to Lots of action. There's uh, Jack gets to the compound, basically. Um, we also get some Palmer drama, and Palmer gets through to Farragamo. Yay. Um, oh, there's yeah. going to be a nice one-episode arc. <laughs> no, I, th- I think the, the whole point of next week is just really kind of Jack arrives at the compound, and there's a bit of a shootout and um, some drama around Eli's body and, and that. So, um yeah, I mean, it's it's an action-packed episode. Between next week and the week after, we kind of, like, this is the midway point. Like, we are legitimately, at the end of next week, we are halfway through this season. So, kind of, basically everything we've had to this point will be concluded in the next two weeks. And you're going to think, well, where the fuck are we going to go for the next 10 to 11 weeks? But it's 24. They always dangle a couple of carrots in front of you. And I will say, after the next two episodes, like, it slows down a bit. Again, we have, like, amnesia and jail storylines. Um, but I mean, there's still some good stuff, uh, but like, contingency I don't think, plans. Yeah. Like I, that gains as contingency, plans. shouldn't have hired an American crew, uh, racist. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like make the most of the next couple of weeks as we're going to slow down a bit before it really picks up again. So I, I don't think after ne- after the next two weeks, I think it's, it has to get dark again before it really picks up again from memory. Uh, all right. So coming soon, episode number 12. Yes. The, the the lead up to lunch hour. <laughs> Retitle the episode. Ready for a sandwich. <laughs> it's coarse and rough and irritating. No, it isn't. Oh, by the way, just before we leave, uh, poor Tanya Roberts has died. Um, oh, fuck. Oh, but I'm glad that we got this before the episode ended. Tanya Roberts is still alive. Oh, good. Uh, thank you for joining us. Good for her. My name is Colin, and Jack said no. And my name is Ben, and bye. Bill. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, Yes, sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah! If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon! That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. Wow! 
For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>